Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Pentecost Sunday comes from, um, it refers, I should say, to the Jewish festival of Shavuot celebrating on the 50th day after Passover. And so Traditionally, you'll find the events of Acts chapter 2, they're set against the backdrop of the celebration of Pentecost in Jerusalem. We've been journeying through the book of Acts, and as we have done so, we have seen various instances where the Holy Spirit simply shows up, and the Holy Spirit's power is revealed in the way the disciples behave and the way they act and some of the decisions they've made. Luke begins by noting in Acts chapter 2 that the disciples uh, we're all together in one place on the day of Pentecost. Now, that word Pentecost simply means, it comes from the Greek word, and it, a Greek word that simply means 50th. It's 50 days since Passover, and for us, it's 50 days since Easter Sunday. Acts chapter 2 records for us, the disciples were gathered, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and one of the evidences or signs is they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them evident, our utterance. So today we're talking about God in the spirit form. You'll notice that our worship songs have to do with the Holy Spirit and in his place in our lives. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit, um, growing up, we used to refer to him as the Holy Ghost. How many of you were part of a church and you remember hearing about the Holy Ghost? Scared me as a kid. (laughs) That there was not only a ghost that existed that was alive in our lives, but that it was also holy. And you grew up in a culture with Casper the Friendly Ghost, perhaps, or Ghostbusters, and it can get a little confusing on what the Holy Ghost is more traditionally or more commonly in the last, I would say, 20, 30 years, we refer to him as the Holy Spirit. The word Holy Spirit comes from, um, I should say, the word from the Old Testament translated as spirit is the word ruach. Everyone say ruach. If you want to say it Hebrew, you got to get a little spit in that last part of it, uh, and ruach, right? Uh, don't do that. Your neighbors won't appreciate it. <laughs> ruach is this word which means wind or breath, okay? Now, in the New Testament, the Greek word translated as spirit is this word pneuma. Pneuma, which means a current of air, a blast of breath, and a strong breeze, and so the, the metaphor is clear. The Holy Spirit is like the wind of God. You may not see the wind, but you can see what? The effects or the evidence of wind. You'll never be able to see the wind, but you'll be able to see the dirt moving. You'll be able to see the leaves moving. You'll be able to feel the, the, the pressure of the wind against your body. And so the Holy Spirit is like the wind. Um, it comes as a gentle breeze. Sometimes he comes like a mighty rushing power. Today, we're going to look at embracing the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting is the Holy Spirit has, is everywhere in Scripture. And so by way of introduction, three quick facts about the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. In fact, Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're following in our notes. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in Luke chapter 1, when Mary ponders, well, uh, this, this news that she is with child, and she ponders this question. She asks a very important question because she's a virgin. She says, how can this be? 
And the angel said, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Next, when Jesus gave his life for our sins on the cross, the Bible says the Son of God was raised from the dead, again, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Son of God was raised from the dead. This is the power evidenced by the Holy Spirit. And then even before his ascension to heaven, Jesus promised his followers that he would send them a gift, the Holy Spirit. He says, I will send you the Holy Spirit just as my father had promised. Remember, Jesus had promised the disciples that while he was going away, there would come another one, an advocate, a helper for the disciples. What's interesting is this, as believers, we have access to the very same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the grave. In fact, let's say this sentence together. Ready, begin. As believers, we have access to the very same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Now, how many of you will say this? You know, there's times in your life where you've been around other people, and for whatever reason, you could sense uh, perhaps they would, you would say that someone has more spiritual power than you do. You've been around people, and for whatever reason, it feels like they have a little bit more power. When they pray, for instance, and they start praying, and you start thinking, my prayers don't seem to summon heaven like their prayers do. Maybe you're in a conversation with them, and they can just kind of pick out a Bible verse out of thin air, Right? That's just appropriate for the conversation. Uh, Maybe you've seen in their lives that when things are shaken from the outside in their life and there's tension and there's turmoil, you sense in them there's a calm sereneness as they go through this tension. And you think, my goodness, they have just a little bit different kind of power. They seem to have this deep spiritual assurance. And you're wondering, how is it that they seem to have more power than I do? And the answer is because they have more power than you do. Sometimes the answers in life are really simple. Christians all over the world today, perhaps in this room, we go through our life and we, we kind of put our work gloves on as Christians and we grab our tools and we go throughout our day and we think, I have Christ in my life, but I also have these work gloves, I have these tools, I have these resources, so I'm going to work my way to a better life. I'm going to pour some blood, sweat, and tears because after all, we do that in every other part of our life. We've been taught that, right? If you want to do better in school, what do you do? You just study harder. You do more work. You do better. If you want a promotion uh, at work, you just do more work. You do it better than anyone else. You work harder. You come early. You stay late. Uh, If you want to get the approval of, of people in your life, you just work hard. You do the things that are necessary. And if we're not careful, we transfer those values into our Christian life. And all of a sudden in our Christian life, we think, well, I just got to work hard. I got to come early. I got to stay late. If I do the work, then I'll have more power. And unfortunately, that's just not the way it works. Now, as we said, as believers, we have access to the very same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And you can be filled with the the powerful Spirit of God. And yet so many of us put on our work gloves and struggle without the power available to us. We're going to look through the book of Acts in just a moment. In fact, go to Acts chapter 1. We'll be in verse 4 in just a minute. Acts chapter 1, what has happened so far? Well, Jesus has already died on the cross. 
He's rose from the grave. He was with his disciples having a conversation with them. And then he would ascend into heaven. And here are his parting words. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says this. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Verse 5, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the what? Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So that Greek word translated as baptized is the word baptizo, it's the word immerse. This is why when we baptize someone, we immerse them in water, uh, because this is the principle we see in Scripture. And this is what Jesus is saying. He didn't just say you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, he says you're going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be deep under, his, uh, under the Holy Spirit. You're going to come out having been immersed in the Holy Spirit. And what will happen to someone once they're immersed? Verse 8 of the same chapter you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will see, you will receive power. This comes from the Greek word dunamis. If you've never heard this before, this is very interesting. This comes from the Greek word dunamis, um, and dunamis uh, means this word power. This is also the same place we get our word dynamite. So what, what, what Jesus was promising them was an explosive, powerful, miraculous, powerful, uh, a power that should go boom in our life, right? Dynamite's no joke. And when dynamite is activated, there should be an explosive power. And when dynamite goes off, nothing stays the same, right? Things move, things shake, people are alarmed. And that is the kind of power that the Holy Spirit has given us in our life. Now, most of us don't experience this kind of Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about the disciples for a moment that this is the kind of power that they would experience. What's the big deal in that? Well, these disciples, their track record for the last three years of following Jesus um, was, was, was not stellar, nor was it a failure. But never once did Jesus say to his disciples, my goodness, you have such great faith. I can't believe how great your faith is. Over and over again, it was more like, um, o ye of little faith, right? Over and over again, it was more comments like, um, you're with me and you still have such little faith. Don't you get it yet? Peter, the one who said, I'm with you at all times. I will never leave you. And then right before the cross, three times he denies Christ. You think about uh, Jesus on the cross. Jesus had told them, I'm going to give my life and as far as we can tell from the four, uh, four accounts in New Testament, only one of the 12 showed up at the cross. Jesus dies, rises from the grave, and where was his fearless disciples? They were locked in a room, scared to death of the Jewish authorities. Jesus says, I'm, I'm here, I've, I've risen. They don't believe him. The women were the one who had to tell them. They still don't believe him. Thomas, who heard from the other 10 that he was back, saw him and said, I still don't believe until he touched the scars. 
So we have Jesus promising this power, and it would be a revolutionary power compared to what the disciples have lived before. So what happens when we embrace the power of God? I'm going to share four distinct qualities today that should be in our life when we embrace the power. Number one, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to share Christ boldly. The Holy Spirit wants to give you the power to share Christ boldly. Uh, look at the verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says this, My message and my preaching were very plain, Paul says. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did so so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. The Holy Spirit wants to give you the power to share Christ boldly because it's not about our human wisdom, but in the Holy Spirit strengths that will move people to repentance. I grew up in a church that taught very early the the importance of, um, of sharing your gospel. And we were taught how to uh, share our stories and, and share the, the message of salvation from Scripture. And uh, so I, I learned from a very young age how to do that. Um, when I was, I think, I was trying to remember this morning, I think when I was 14 years old, 14 or 15 years old, um, I had my first Sunday school class. I got to teach my first Sunday school class. Every Sunday, I taught first and second grade boys. What a terrible idea that was. Our church was really hurting, let me tell you, for, for teachers if I was the one teaching first and second grade boys. There was about 10 or 12 ones, uh, first and second grade boys. I had a helper, Mike, uh, Mike Garcelle and I, we would go in and, um, you know, this is how bad we were. Like, we knew you should probably give them a snack. So we just thought, well, let's start class by getting them happy. So we'll start with the snack. Our snacks were always sugar <laughs> in various forms. So it took us a good six months to figure out that's probably not the best way to teach first and second grade boys is by giving them cookies and brownies first thing. We would feed them cookies and brownies, and then we'd try to memorize a memory verse, I remember, and we'd play games on how to memorize the memory verse. It was, uh, it was a train wreck. Um, you had first and second grade boys all hopped up on sugar, and I'm trying to teach them how to memorize John 3.16. We'd go, and then we'd do a Bible study, and then at the end, we would try to have quiet time before they got dismissed. I don't know what we were thinking. Like, it took us a long time to figure out how to change that. Uh, one of the things I, I, I got to do when I was 14, 15 years old was just how to get up in front of people and, and, and not take yourself seriously and just kind of go with the flow. And first and second grade boys, uh, they, would, they would teach me how to be flexible. Um, I remember we would, um, our church would go door to door in our community and invite people to church, invite them to Jesus. Um, I've been thinking about my brother a lot lately because my, my brother was the one who kind of taught me how to do that. And uh, he was seven years older than me, and I have a lot of memories of, of me and Steve just going door to door. Um, we're going to have a, a celebration of life for my brother in a few weeks in California. I'm looking forward to celebrating his life. Um, I remember one of, the, one of the earlier times we went, we would go to apartment complexes and we'd have these little invitations. and. And we would just go to door to door. It's as silly as it sounds, but we would just go door to door. And when someone opened the door, my brother would say, hi, my name is Steve. We went to a Baptist church and he'd go, um, yeah, my name is Steve. And we go to Liberty Baptist Church and we just want to tell you about our church and tell you about Jesus. Do you have a couple minutes? 
And we would just do that over and over again. And you'd be surprised how many people would let us just talk to them and tell them about the church and tell them about Jesus. And a few times we were able to pray with people right there at the door and different things. And I remember one Saturday, one Saturday he goes, okay, today you're going to do your first one. You're going to knock on the door yourself today. I was probably, again, 13, 14, not much older than that, maybe, a, maybe 13. And so he goes, uh, I'll, do, I'll do the first few, and then you can do one. And so, you know, we go up there, and I'm just trying to listen to every word Steve is saying. And he goes up there, and he's like, knock, knock, knock. And they'd answer the door and said, hi, my name is Steve. We're from Liberty Baptist Church, and we're just inviting people and telling people about our church and Jesus. And you go to the next door, hi, my name is Steve from Liberty Baptist Church, and we're just inviting people to church and telling them about Jesus. Do you have a minute? And then he said, uh, all right, a couple more, and then it's you. And we go back up, and he'd knock on the door, and we're going up and down stairs. We're sweating like pigs. It's just ugly. And he goes, okay, the next door's yours. So we walked a little slower to that next, to that next apartment. I remember we walked up there, and I had my invitation in my hand, and I'm, knock, I'm ready to knock on the door. And I, I've been listening to what he said this whole time. So I get up there, and I knock on the door, and I say, hi, my name is Steve. <laughs> my name is Steve, and we're from Liberty. And I just kept on going with the script. And the person wanted to talk, and so we ended up talking to him, and we walked down the stairs, and I just laughed my head off, and we just laughed our head off and just had a good time. Um, I remember getting to college, and um, a college put a pretty, uh, gave, gave up men who, were, who felt like they were called to preach a lot of opportunities to just speak. Um, I must have been 20 years old now, and uh, our uh, vice president did a devotion in our dorm. Uh, Dr. Getch was there, and he, he did a, uh, a devotion. Before he did, he said, um, we're going to, uh, there's a new retirement community on the edge of town, and they'd love for someone to come and do a service. So if you want a chance to preach every Sunday, just let me know after service, come on up. And I remember thinking, uh, oh, my goodness, this would be awesome. I don't know how to do that, but I really want to do that. And so he did his devotion. And as soon as he said, pray, I was like, I made a beeline for Dr. Getch. I said, did anyone else talk to you yet? I'd love to be, I'd love to do those services. He said, nope, no one else did. So you're it. And uh, that was a really rousing sense of affirmation, right? Um, mind you, I'm 20 now, right? All I've ever done is work with kids since I was 13 years old. All I've ever done. I've worked with kids. I learned three, car three chords on a guitar so I can play, you know, if you're saved and, you know, and clap your hands, you know. I am a C. I am a C. All of these songs, right? So, we, uh, so we're getting ready for our first Sunday. And he just literally said, hey, you want to get there? You know how to play the guitar, Daniel. Play a couple of songs and just, you know, just speak to them. And I said, well, what do I preach on? How do I, he goes, you always want to preach on something that's really important to the people that you're preaching to. And that was the advice he gave me. So I thought, great. So I asked a couple of guys to go with me so I could have some moral support. And we get up there. And as I'm getting ready, I realized the only songs I know how to play with my three chords are kids songs. <laughs> so I thought, why not? So we get there, and I explain to the audience, and, uh, you know, there's like 30, 40 retired folks in the lobby of Merrill Gardens Retirement Story on the edge of Lancaster Boulevard right there, and I got up, and I said, if you're saved, then you know what, clap your hands, and you should have seen the look on their faces. They thought, what in the world is going on? And they just were like, 
I did another verse. Stomp your feet. Right? All of these different verses because that verse has 12 verses if you know what you're doing. And then I would do like, I am a C. I am a C. And they're just staring at the three of us like, what is going on? Then I get to go preach my message. And he said, preach on something that is really important to them. So I just preached on heaven because I figured that must be really important to this audience. I went to John 14 and I went to Revelation 21 and I said, Jesus is coming soon. Aren't you glad for that? (laughs) There's one man named Turner Watson and Turner Watson was so, so gracious. It had been probably a year and a half of me doing these services and I figured out how to play real songs too. Thank you very much. Um, in fact, we, we found someone to play the piano, and we ended up singing hymns that they would know, and it was awesome. I, I just loved it. We made bulletins for them. We celebrated birthdays. It was awesome. Turner Watson would come, um, and he'd wheel himself over, and about a year and a half later into my junior year, he got, or into my sophomore year, I guess that would have been junior, whatever, um, he got sick. And so he couldn't come to... Um, he couldn't come to the lobby anymore. Um, so after the service, I would go to his room and uh, I would sing a few songs and I'd read some scripture with him. And uh, he didn't grow up with Jesus, I remember that. I forget his church background, but he didn't grow up with Jesus. And there one day at his bedside, I said, uh, Turner, do you wanna put your faith and trust in Jesus? And he's in his bed and I remember he just went and looking for into his pockets, and he kept on fidgeting like this. I said, what are you doing, Turner? He goes, well, well, how much would it cost? And I got to just open the Bible and show him from Romans how it was a free gift. And all those verses I had memorized when I was trying to teach those first and second grade boys that were all hocked up on sugar, all of those times, six or seven years I had been teaching kids, all of those memory verses, they just started coming to my mind, I remember. And Turner was one of the first adults I got to lead to Jesus there on his, what would be his deathbed. About six weeks later, he passed away. And he put his trust and faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit wants to dwell inside of you so you could share Christ boldly. And I recognize for some of us that, that that concept seems foreign. In fact, you're probably thinking, that's why we pay you, Daniel, is so that you can share Christ boldly. And I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit came upon them there at Pentecost, the very first evidence of the Holy Spirit's power in their life was immediate, and it was the fact that they shared Christ boldly. My, my, my prayer is that over the course of the next 12 months, you mark it Memorial Day weekend, we'll have story over story after story after story of you sharing your story and you sharing the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you the tools and I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to, put, I'm going to prepare the meal and it's up to you to take the meal and do something with it. But the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is for you to share Christ boldly. And I will say this, if you haven't shared Christ boldly, you're misusing the power of the Holy Spirit. So 
What does it look like to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, the power of the Holy Spirit wants to be in your life, so it gives you the power to share Christ boldly. Number two, this morning, the Holy Spirit will give you power when you are weak. The Holy Spirit will give you power when you are weak. Now, this is going to speak to some of you. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, it says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, speaks for us, prays for us with groanings too deep for words. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit gives you power when you're weak? He prays for us when we're weak, and here's the deal. Many of us, we've got our work gloves on, we've got our shovels, we've got our tools, and when we are weak, we feel like there must be something wrong with us or something that we're doing incorrectly because we don't have the strength anymore. And yet, part of what this verse is teaching us is that when we get to the end of our strength, the Holy Spirit is strong where we cannot be strong, and He can do that for you. There's a common phrase that people live by, and that's this, that uh, you'll never have more. Um, God will not give you more than you cannot handle. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell because it encourages us to feel like in every bit of trauma that we're in and every bit of brokenness that we're in, that we should be able to sustain the weight of the world on our shoulders. And what this verse is teaching us is this, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Life often gives you way more than you can handle, and it is a a privilege for us to do so, to go and bear those things with the help of Jesus Christ. It is not something that we're designed to do on our own. Uh, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12. It says this, So, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. He's talking about something in his life that caused him repeated anguish, repeated stress, repeated tension, repeated pain. The metaphor he's using is a thorn that's in your flesh. So if you think of working in your garden and the roses and the thorns uh, aggravate your skin or break through, this is what he's talking about. I've lived with this thorn in my flesh. It came to harass me as a messenger of Satan. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. You know why he had to pray three times? Because it never was removed. So you think about the things in your life that you would go to God and say, Lord, I'm begging you, would you please remove this bit of pain from my life, this bit of tension from my life? And God does not do so. Paul is describing what happened to him. I, 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 play, I prayed three times with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more, Paul says, gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm content with the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
He says, I'm not going to remove this from your life. I'm not going to just allow you to go through life without this anymore. In fact, my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to be able to walk through life, not because it gets easier, but because I help you carry the weight. I help you carry the weight. We were talking about this in men's Bible study a few weeks ago, um, how that there are times in our life where God allows us to continue to go through things, right, Steve? He allows us to go through things, not because, uh, not because he's punishing us, but he's trying to teach us something. And in the moment where we think the situation could be resolved much easier, if it just removed, God allows us to build strength by allowing his grace to be sufficient. Um, they did a study years ago in Southern California, I think at I want to say at uh, uh, USC in their science department where they tried to figure out uh, why some trees would grow stronger than others. And they put, uh, they put trees in a, um, uh, in a climate-controlled environment. And so it was enclosed in glass, and they, and they, and they uh, planted trees, and they grew them over a period of time, and they watched the root development. They watched the structures of the trees. And for some reason, these trees were weak. They analyzed the results against others that were grown in the natural environments. And one of the conclusions they realized they made is this, that the resistance of the wind allowed their roots to grow stronger. And in a case where there was no wind, the roots were weak. You know what happens when you take a a caterpillar and you remove it from its cocoon? It dies. It, it It doesn't have the strength in order to go through that process to become a butterfly. And so I think part of what God is teaching us in these moments is my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to remove this trial from your life. I'm not going to make it easy. I'm not going to do that because we live in a broken world. He doesn't always just remove it. And sometimes he does, praise God, when he does. But sometimes he doesn't. And in those moments, you might go through your whole life with this brokenness, with this insults, with this weakness that Paul describes. And in doing so, God is teaching us a lesson that his grace is sufficient for us. The Holy Spirit gives us power when we're weak. Number three this morning, the Holy Spirit will give you power to have hope in a hopeless world. He gives us power to share Christ boldly. He gives us power when we're weak. But thirdly, he will give us power to have hope in a hopeless world. Romans 15 says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's so much in this verse. Uh, Look at that first part of the verse. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope. So many people today have very limited hope because they don't have the source of the hope. It says uh, that God will fill you completely with two things. What are those two things? Joy and peace, because you trust in him joy, peace. I believe he's talking about salvation. I think he's talking about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, that when you do so, you'll get both joy in your life and peace. And then he says, you will overflow with confident hope. So many times we try to, people get, we try to give people hope without pointing them to joy and peace first. And I think it's vital that if we know where hope comes from, we first give people joy and peace, and then the promise is that they will overflow with confident hope. Boy, if you're hurting today, if you're afraid, if you're disheartened, we want to go to the source of joy, the source of peace, and the source of hope. 
If you're in a situation where you're losing your job, we need to figure out a way to put our hope in God that he will be our provider. If someone in your life is sick, then we're going to figure out a way to put our hope in God and let the Holy Spirit be our healer. If you're worried about tomorrow, if you're worried about uh, uh, what, what happens in the next few weeks, in the next few months, in the next year of your life, we got to figure out a way to put our hope in God and let him be our comforter. If you lose someone you know or if you have recently, we've got to figure out a way to allow the Holy Spirit to grieve with us and for us. We can put our hope in God and the promise of our hope of resurrection and, 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 and the glorious eternity that awaits us, but that hope is designed for us today to live out our days as well. So number one, he gives us the power to share Christ boldly. He gives us the power when we're weak. He gives the power to have hope in a hopeless world. And number four this morning, the Holy Spirit will give you the power to experience all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 in just a moment. What I've noticed in people's lives is when people think of Christianity and they think of our faith, we have reduced it to the lowest common denominator. We've reduced it in terms of our understanding and our projection of what faith is to the lowest common denominator. So people will say, oh, faith, Christianity, yeah, um, yeah, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. I, I, uh, I've said the Lord's Prayer. I listen to Christmas music. I got baptized once. I joined a church. I would recognize a Bible verse if read to me, maybe. We've reduced us to the lowest common denominator. And those same people who would attribute their life to Christianity on this very low bar that we've established are still hurting they're still addicted, they're still filled with worries, they're still struggling, they still have marriages that are broken, there's no real faith and there's no real victory. Why? Because there's no power. Some people today don't understand who God is and what he has for us, and yet the Holy Spirit will give us power to experience all the fullness of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, this is an amazing passage. I'm working on memorizing these seven or eight verses, um, and they're just powerful. It's, it's what Paul was praying for the church at Ephesus. So Paul gives you a window into his life. And remember, Ephesus, this is the church where he spent how much time? He spent two years there, right? This is right before he goes back to Jerusalem, where, we, where we're going to pick it up next week, where he's been beaten and thrown in jail, and the rest of his time in Acts is in prison. He spends two years with the church of Ephesus. He's grown to know them and to love them. This is how he prays for them. Verse 14, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. He says this, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources... He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Verse 17. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Christ will make his home in your hearts. You know what that phrase means, right? Your family comes over for the holidays or they come over for a meal. And what do you say? Make yourself at home. In other words, if you want something, go up and get it. You know where everything is. In fact, this is your home right now. Make yourself at home. 
Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, and part of what he's praying is, man, I pray that you would enjoy these resources, these unlimited glorious resources, so then Christ will make his home in your hearts. Now, the alternative is Christ will rent some space in your heart. Yeah. And most of us, whether we like to admit it or not, most of us go through our lives just renting out space to God in our hearts. And we'll say, say, say Lord, you can have this part of my heart. Um, yep, and, and, um, and you can have this part of my heart. But this corner over here, I'm going to save for myself. I don't, I don't need you going, poking around over here. Uh, don't look in the drawers. Don't, in fact, don't even open the door. The door is going to be closed. Um, just don't even go into that room. You can, you can go into these other rooms. You can be in the living room. You can be in the kitchen. But don't go into the bedroom. Don't go into this room. Um, and what Paul is, is explaining is a much more wholehearted faith than simply renting out space to God. He's saying, man, if you, if you were to avail yourselves to the unlimited glorious riches that Christ has for you through the Holy Spirit's power, then Christ will make his home in your hearts. And what will happen as you trust him? Your roots will grow down into, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. You know what happens when you rent out space in your life to Jesus? As soon as there's a strong wind, as soon as there's a storm, as soon as there's tension or brokenness that enters your life, your faith shakes and it crumbles. Psalm says you go just whichever way the wind goes, that's how you go. And what it takes for us to have roots that grow strong into God's love, that will be strong and deep, is to let Christ make his way in your home, in your hearts, I should say. Make his home in your hearts. We keep reading verse 18. He says this, And may you have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Verse 19, May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Boy, if you've ever wondered, is there anything more to Christianity? There's got to be more than just avoiding the bad stuff and trying to do some of the good stuff. And we've reduced Christianity to this type of lifestyle where, we, where we're known for, well, you can't, Christian, oh, you can't do this, and you're probably doing this. And the answer is yes, there is that, but there is so much more. There is the reality of the constant presence of God through the Holy Spirit that you can have in your life. And this is a peace that passes all understanding so you can manifest the fruit of the Spirit. So there can be love in your hearts and in your home. There can be joy in any circumstance. So when life gets a little storm-filled or when life gets a little topsy-turvy, your heart and your position is still one of joy, that you can have peace through every circumstance. So you can have patience with people that are unlovable. You can have patience with the different scenarios you're in. You can have patience 
with what you hear from media and from the news outlets, that you can have kindness and goodness in your life, that we would be known for being gentle and faithful and self-controlled. So you can be led by the Spirit and walk by faith and not by sight, and that you can have joy unspeakable, you can have supernatural strength. This is like the the two or three year anniversary of Libby and I going on um, an electric bike tour in Eugene. Um, I think I told you about it once, but I think it's such a powerful story um, that I want to share it again, and it's funny. So, Um, we, for my birthday a few years ago, we went on an electric bike tour in Eugene, which is great. And this guy met us, and um, He had bikes for us to choose from, <clears throat> and what an electric bike is, is it's a regular bicycle that has a battery so that when you pedal, you can choose to have the option of having just a little assist with you. Or like me, you just always have a little assist with you. It doesn't move on its own. You're still doing the pedaling, but it just gives you a little lift. It's really, really nice. Um, so we went on this electric bike tour, and it was awesome. Um, I forget what, where, where did we go on the top of Skinner Butte? Uh, so we're, we're going all throughout Eugene. We're going through all these parks and different things. And he stopped a couple of times to make sure we understood how the brakes work and all of this stuff. And you have different gears. And what happens on a bike is if you, uh, let's, say, let's say you're going through a crossing and the, the light's turning yellow while you're in the middle of the crosswalk. You don't want to be there. You can hit the little boost and it gives you a little assist, like I said. Or you are trying to pass someone on a bike path. You just hit the little throttle button and it gives you a little assist. It's great. We were going around the park and we were, um, this is the first time I've been on an electric bike. And mind you, I didn't learn how to ride a bike till I was 21 years old. That's a whole nother story. We'll talk about that another day. I didn't learn how to ride a bike till I was 21. So being on a bike in general is just kind of an uncomfortable thing for me. So I'm learning how, I'm figuring it out. There's brakes, there's gears, right? You're trying to figure out all this. And then he says, we're going to go up Skinner Butte, which is beautiful. And so we start going up Skinner Butte. And I forget I'm on an electric bike, which is really problematic at this time. So I'm going up the hill. Libby's up ahead. The guide is up ahead. There's only three of us. I'm the third one. And we're going up, and I am pedaling. And then I remember the gears. So I switch it to first gear. And that was helpful for like eight seconds. And, and so now I'm pedaling as hard, and, and Libby's just getting smaller and smaller in the distance. And I'm pedaling. I'm like, I don't, something's, I just don't, I don't understand. And then I remember, I was like, Daniel, you're on an electric bike. So then I switched on this hand, I think, the level to like level three, and I hit the throttle. And all of a sudden, I was like, and I'm just going up here. I'm passing people as they're walking. I'm like, ah, suckers. I'm just going up the hill, and I catch up to them, and I was able to glide the rest of the way. I think about that day often because, and I don't think about it when I'm riding my bike now. I think about it when I'm going through my week, and I'm just doing it in my own strength. You've been there. You're just doing it on your own strength. And you're like, I'm supposed to be joyful, so I'm going to manufacture joy today. I'm supposed to be patient, so I'm going to be patient right now. Patience now. Do you have any Seinfeld people in here? Serenity now. And you know as well as I do, it doesn't work. 
and inevitably I'll, I'll, I'll have a moment to myself and I'll say, oh, Daniel, you're doing this in your own strength. The Holy Spirit has given you power and you've literally decided not to use it so that you could work in your own strength. What would it look like for you to share Christ boldly through the power of the Holy Spirit? There's someone like Turner in your life who just wants to hear about the good news of Jesus. What would it look like in your life to, when you're weak, to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power so you could press on another day? What would it look like for you to have hope in a hopeless world when everybody around you is doom and gloom and yet you have this joy that comes from the inner of your soul, this peace, and because of that, you are overflowing with hope. You know why we're overflowing? It's not that it's wasteful. You know what we do with the excess is we give it away. The point of overflowing hope is not so we can just bubble over and it fizzes all over the ground like an exploding soda. The point of overflowing hope is we get to give out the excess away. What would that look like in your life? And what would it look like to experience all the fullness of God, not just the low standard we've set for ourselves? This we embrace on Pentecost Sunday, the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.